Welcome to episode number 10 of the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Today's episode is part two of a two-part series with Jason Burbage, president of National Land Realty. In part one, we discussed a bit about the history of National Land Realty and how a different kind of land company was built. How a company started with a CEO sleeping on the floor of a tiny office space into a $1.5 billion national company. This episode focuses on the shape of the land industry, what the current economic environment looks like for the buying and selling of land, and what is in store for the future of the land industry. Again, this is a chance to gain insight from one of the best minds in the business and one of the most inspirational leaders you will come across. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. Yeah, and so I wanted to ask you a question, sort of, you were talking about the Great Recession and sort of how how this company started sort of in the, in the, the fire embers of that thing. Right. So as, as the market has increased over the last, you know, 15 years to one of the hottest markets in recorded history of, of real estate. Right. And, and it's been easy and, you know, the, even the land market has developed into this thing where you can you can put up a piece of land and just sit on your heels and someone will find it because it requires very little effort to sell things for the last few years. Um, what I wanted to ask is is what is the current state of the industry as we start looking at headwinds like increased interest rates or economic downturns or inflation or some of the things that keep on going on right now and really what I'm doing here is shooting myself in the foot because I love evergreen content, which means I could listen to it for a year from now and it would still sound the same, but this does, this does date this episode a little bit, but I think it's, it's really interesting. And since I have you on here to, to, you know, to sort of discuss these things, I think it's relevant and, and useful. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think it is too. I, you know, I guess I started my career in 1999 in a recession. I didn't even know we were in a recession when I started it. Cause I mean, I just got out of college. I was broke, you know, so it's easy to get started in a recession when you don't have anything to lose. So, um, so the interesting thing about all of this is that I started my career in a recession, experienced the build up to what ended up being the bubble that burst in 2008. Um, so I was able to ride that, that storm. And, um, and then experienced, you know, the, the recession, the great recession in 2008 that we really saw, um, I felt like for us, it ended in the fourth quarter of 2011, um, because that's when I really saw the transaction start kicking back up. That was when the investors, the, the, the straight up land investors were going, you know, we're, 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 we're really going to be focusing on picking up opportunities here. And that was the precursor. Once that happened, um, everybody else got comfortable with with spending money again because they saw, you know, the the quote unquote experts, you know, going all in. Um, so, you know, what I learned is that it, it goes back to there's always opportunity. There's always a silver lining. It, you may have to work a lot harder to get it, 
Um, but that's not a bad thing. I've been telling people for years. I and mean, my concern is that where we are right now, and we've, I mean, we've been on, on an unbelievable ride is that it's too good. You know, the, the mar markets always need correction to avoid implosion. And um, I don't think we're on the verge of implosion, by the way. I think there's a lot of factors that go into this that we're not, we're not facing, um, you know, the exact same thing that happened back in 2008. Um, I think that, you know, if you watch enough news or social media and you're looking for this kind of stuff, you can find people who will tell you that's what's about to happen. But as you know, that's something that I, that, um, I don't go down that road. Uh, because I don't have any control over that. And there's no use for me to stress myself out over stuff that I don't have control over. Um, so, you know, where are we going and what's going to happen? Well, the current state that we're in is, you know, going back to 2020 when COVID hit. Um, in our market, um, we hit, we were prepared for the wheels to come off because nobody knew what was going to happen when COVID hit. And then it turned into one of the best markets that we've ever experienced, as you just said, because of this idea of how great it is to have space around you that the COVID lockdown created. And, um, and that introduced a whole new world of people to land ownership that had never really considered it before. And uh, so that's been a big part of what's been driving what we're experiencing now is in addition to low interest rates, um, uh, that's been a big driver as well. So right now, where are we at? So we're, we're talking now, it's June of, of um, 2022. And there's been a lot of fear out there about what's happening, but there's still a lot of confidence in land. And that's been evident by the year we've had so far. Even though interest rates have gone up, um, and even though they've gone up, they're still good. There's the rates are still good. And historically, France, they're still incredibly low. Yeah, they're yeah. still incredibly low. They're just not as low as they were, which was an all time low. Um, do I, I mean, I expect that things are going to slow down. I mean, and, and it needs to, we, the biggest threat that we have right now, and this is real estate in general, but also in our, in our area is listing inventory. I mean, that's the biggest threat that we have is being able to find property for people to buy. When you stay in this area for too long with low inventories, that's what causes prices to get out of whack. But the good thing about land is that in certain areas that can definitely happen, but historically, land's been more insulated from, from those you know, super inflated prices that can happen that definitely happened back in 2008. And there are certainly investors, people who bought tracts of land in 2008 that got burned by that. But in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, we're we're a very healthy, we're a very healthy industry. Um, I, I expect that we're going to see some things slow down. I don't think it's going to be bad. It's just going to be there's going to be different types of opportunity out there than what we're seeing right now. Yeah, I've had to describe it a little bit in conversations that I've had where you look at the residential market that has a little higher volatility than land just because it's it's a everything just happens faster in that industry. And with, with large scale land, it inventory is always an issue, but it, the, the, just the progress seems to be a little slower. You don't have these huge sweeping, you know, when a downturn happens, it doesn't affect the whole industry the same way. Um, if 
you know, and the one thing I've been keeping an eye out is, is the secondary homes, the secondary market where people have invested heavily in that with interest rates rising, overall price has to meet interest rate to be an economical factor for people. So with people buying all the secondary homes, if they're looking where prices go down, rents go down, and in order to meet their bottom line, they might have to start offloading secondary homes. So I think that might kind of increase inventory specifically in, in residential, but with the land industry, it's a little more consistent. There, as we've started looking at data throughout the years, prices have remained fairly steady. It doesn't have the huge fluctuations. And, and it kind of brings me probably to my next question is, do we consider that an investment or a hedge? That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I think the answer to that is, is, is a little bit of both. It depends on who you are and what you're looking for. It is absolutely an investment. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you can go back and look at the whole history of land ownership, and it is nothing but on the on the on the broad scale, it's it's positive. I mean, yeah, there's ups and downs. Uh, there's some times where it's been more down than it has been up, but um, land is always, in the grand scheme of things, a safe, long-term investment. Um, now there are people who have figured out ways to make it good, a good short-term investment. And we help a lot of people do that, but there's more risk involved with that as well. Um, but we've, we've also been able to figure out how to mitigate that risk. You can't absolve yourself of it, but, um, it's a great investment when it's all said and done because of the way that you can change land to fit what the market's looking for, if that makes sense. Um, so you can treat it as an investment of, I'm going to buy this track of land. I'm going to grow timber on it for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And I'm going to leave it to my kids and they're going to continue doing that. And there's a whole history of that happening or as an investment from, I want to buy this as an investment. I'm not a farmer, but I'm going to lease this land out to farmers. I'm going to make a little bit of money on it. And the farmers are going to be able to do their thing with it. Um, people, you know, this is a little bit different perspective on it, but um, it's an investment in, uh, in joy as well, because it's one of the unique things where you can buy it as an investment from a monetary investment and get a whole lot more out of it than just a monetary return. In fact, I used to joke that, you know, with certain clients, uh, they tell their spouse, hey, I'm buying this track and it's an investment. And, uh, but in their minds, it was going to be way more than that. It was going to be a hunt track as well. Um, the question about, is it a hedge is, is absolutely depending on how you, I, I've, I've got plenty of clients who, um, will move money around depending on what's going on, uh, because of opportunities that come up. So, you know, back when the recession happened, we had people pulling money out, out of the stock market and putting it in land just to hedge things out there because of the, the traditional stability of land over the long term. Um, so there's definitely strategy behind that. And I mean, shoot, you can do a little bit of research and see how the wealthiest people in this country um, have been able to use land as a hedge versus all of their other uh, assets that they own. Uh, and land has always been tied to, um, to measuring wealth in many ways. So, um, 
so yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both and it's just, it just depends on what you're comfortable with and, and how you want to, how, how you want to benefit from that. Yeah. I've, I've always been kind of fascinated with land versus let's, let's look at traditional hedging that people will use like gold or something like that, where mm-hmm. you go into an economic downturn and you see all the commercials advertising gold and it turns, it almost turns into an investment scheme where they drive the price up, but traditionally it just doesn't work like that, but it drives up because of the economic situation. What you never see is a radio commercial being like, get out and buy a ranch. <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it definitely is a hedge that that people that have their eyes on it, that know the market, know that and invest heavily in it during a downturn. Um, it, it's really just always kind of a fascinating sort of investment model as far as that goes, because it's a, it's a working, living, breathing thing that you also are investing in to also protect you uh, that I've always found fascinating. Um, so what, what do you think is coming up in, in the land industry and not, not necessarily, you know, we, we kind of talked about the risk of downturn. And I think that we are all kind of viewing it as a market correction rather than, you know, this, this kind of seismic shift that we've seen in the past is it's just, you know, you drive a car too fast, it goes off the road eventually, you know, it's, it's got to correct, it's got to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but as far as the industry in general, what do you see from, from, you know, companies like ours, you know, our competitors, because there are, there's a good healthy market for lands. Now there's a lot of company, there's a lot of diversity in it. There's your mom and pop shops, there's residential people that also do land. And then there's large kind of brokerages like ours that are focused on land. What do you think is coming next down the pipeline? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great question. And it's, there's a lot of unknown with that as well. Just, just as there's unknown with what the market's going to do in general. Um, but what my feeling about this, and this is, this is what we've learned over the years is that there's, there's more consolidation happening among brokerages. And um, part of that is because of how our country is evolving and how we work. Um, you know, sometimes it's out of necessity. Um, and I, I'll, I'll be clear in saying that I don't believe that, that our industry needs to go to a place where there's only two or three big companies and, and they're the ones who are responsible for all the deals that are happening across the country. Because I don't think, I don't think too much of one thing is ever healthy. Um, I think that having, again, going back to an opportunity standpoint is, you know, having a company that, or companies that, that provide options for people who wouldn't necessarily get that on their own is a great thing. So when I say consolidation, um, I think that they're going to be, you're going to, you're going to see more smaller companies that realize that, that it's getting tougher to be able to operate as a smaller company. And there are, are benefits to working with a company like National Land or some of our competitors out there that, that offer services that, again, allow you to do what you do best. So we wanna be able to take the stuff that you don't enjoy doing off the table, let us do that for you. Um, and that, that also helps to serve clients better. Uh, because you're able to focus more instead of having to do it all, which is how many real estate agents have to operate. Um, you're able to focus on what's most important. Well, of course, what's most important is getting getting the property sold for 
your seller client or finding that property for your buyer client. Um, and then what many people don't realize is from a real estate agent perspective, um, the job's not done once you've got the contract in place to purchase, purchase the property. In many ways, the, the, the most work is happening between contract and, clo and closing. And so that's where our role, where we shift into, into that, um, that solutions aspect of things to ensure that all the pieces that are in play with getting a transaction done are happening. So um, when you have got a lot of stuff to juggle uh, and you've got more people that can help with that, it just, it just helps things typically go a lot smoother. So, you know, our mindset is how can we continue to provide assets to folks to ensure that the job gets done as effectively as possible? And I think it's important to recognize that, that the aspect of being an asset, um, which is being of value, uh, and then the effectiveness, effectiveness aspect of it is, uh, just like in many other things, I mean, time is so critical to ensure that um, maximum return is accomplished. And so efficiency is a word that's, that's used with, with, without a lot. And the danger with just thinking about it from being an efficient aspect is you can be incredibly efficient, meaning that you're getting the, the most, the maximum done in a defined period of time. You can be incredibly efficient going in the absolute wrong direction. And I view effectiveness as being efficient and going in the right direction. So that's, that's the objective. And so when it comes to this industry is how can we continue to, um, to provide a service to our clients? Um, and again, our clients are twofold. It's, the landowners, the land buyers, and then it's the agents who are a part of our company uh, where we're providing effective solutions um, for those folks, building relationships. Um, it's, a, it's incredibly important for us over the lifespan of ownership for a track of land that, that we're a viable part of that, not from the standpoint of just getting the deal done, but ensuring that people have everything they need to get the most out of their investment, whether it's because they're buying it for a pure investment or because they're buying it for other reasons, enjoyment and, and that sort of thing. So, um, so I, that's, that's kind of a long-winded uh, explanation when I talk about consolidation and it's, 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 it's about bringing more like-minded people together that allow us to get the best job done for folks. Yeah, I, I also, you know, we've discussed that a lot internally in, in the consolidation aspect of companies in our industry. Um, also, you know, I kind of view that as a, a protective measure where if you're a small brokerage and there, there's a few outlets out there and there's a few opportunities that that are only available, you know, in our industry. And, and so, like, you know, they become sort of a of a, you know, a focal point for what people need to use. And if something shifts, you don't have nearly enough voice at the table if you're a smaller company. It's that economy of scale thing where you have more yeah. negotiating power. You can have more strength at the negotiating table to protect yourself um, in, in those kind of instances. If you're a large company, you, you, know, you know that your business matters. And so you're able to negotiate more and you're able to, to better benefit your agents and get your word out there in a more affordable way. I think there's been a lot of 
there's been a lot of price acceleration in the markets because of the market itself. You know, mm-hmm. because real estate's been so good, people have brokers are getting gouged all over the place and they did, they can't really, they don't really have enough voice and strength at the table unless they have some backing. And so the consolidation aspect provides strength to companies so that, so that they don't get plowed over in the marketplace that, that has been accelerating kind of beyond its means for the last few years. Uh, so there's, there's a heavy point in that as well. Um, I, I, I wanted to like give you an opportunity here. Uh, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about sort of your background, uh, you know, national land in general in the marketplace. Um, so close me out here with, you know, we're going on, going on 40 minutes. I want to make sure to, to make best of use of your time. And I greatly appreciate your time. Um, any closing thoughts? I, I would just say this, that, that, you know, for, for the folks that are listening to this and, and I recognize that there's, there's going to be a, there's a combination of folks who are, you know, landowners are thinking about buying land. There's land professionals that are listening to this. You know, there's members of our team, et cetera, that, you know, at this point in time, that think about listening. You mentioned this before, listen to this podcast again, you know, five years from now and what might be different. It could be a whole lot different. Um, but for us, and my advice is always this, don't get caught up in the, in the extremes that, that come to light and that life brings out there. It's, there's always going to be some crazy thing going on. And there's always going to be, you know, voices out there who are the loudest that are yelling one thing or another. And then there's the, the silent majority who are in the middle. And that's, that's what our country is all about is those of us in the middle who care about, you know, what's important for our families, um, who want to be assets to our community. Um, We want to love and protect our families. We want to be assets to our community. And we want to defend what, you know, what this country has been founded on, basically freedoms and, and our ability to be able to make what we can for ourselves. And land's a huge component of that. I mean, our, our country was founded on the basis of, of, um, of land ownership. And I think that, that, uh, in the grand scheme of everything, if you stop and ask yourself again, what is it that I have control over? What is it that I don't need that I don't need to be really stressing about because I don't have control over, you know, what relationships can I focus on that um, allow things to continue moving forward. And then when it's all said and done, what kind of legacy am I leaving behind? You know, what kind of legacy am I, am I creating? And that's, that's on an individual basis. It's on a you know, company basis as well. And I think that, you know, for me, the, the, the purpose that I have in life is, is simply to leave a virtuous legacy. And there's, there's other things that go into that, you know, who I am as a husband, as a father, as a Christian, as a, you know, coworker, as a boss, as a community member. Um, but when things get tough and when the unknown's out there, if I'm focused more on, you know, what I can do for other people, you know, just letting people know that I'm thinking about them, um, that, 
it, it, it helps you stay focused on moving forward, forward progress. And when we get out of that, we'll lose a sense of our identity. Um, that's when things start to go off the rails. And I think as a, as a country, as a whole, if we continue focusing on, on the middle on those core values of things, I mean, we'll, we'll be able to weather whatever comes our way. You know, all that unknown that's out there. It may be uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying that we're going to live a life of comfort. Um, but our ability to be content, to find contentment in that time, those times of discomfort makes you appreciate things a whole lot more when, when, uh, when things get better. So, um, so I guess I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So, uh, Jason, thank you as always for your wisdom and perspective. Uh, much appreciated giving us your time today. Uh, thank you very much. And, and I'll let you get on with your day. My pleasure. Thanks, Mac. All right. Thank you. This concludes part two of episode number 10 of the National Land Realty podcast, discussing the history of National Land Realty, as well as the land industry as a whole. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com. Hey there, listener. I noticed that you're still hanging out, probably listening to the music. But uh, what I wanted to do was remind you to check out our Land Tour 360s at nationalland.com. These, these land tours are innovative, interesting, and nobody else in the industry does this. Check out our site. Look for any listing that has Land Tour 360 featured on it. You can tour our listings in three dimensions. Zoom in, get a ground's eye view, watch videos from the ground, zoom back out look at things from the sky view, then zoom back in on properties that have 3D views of, of the houses that are on the properties. This is called a Matterport viewing. It's a 3D viewing system for, for housing. Check out Land Tour 360. It should blow you away. And carry on with your day. Have a good one and see you on the next episode.